And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. It's uh, Wednesday, hump day. That's uh, getting through it already. So, you know, again, just kind of getting through the week here. Danny Ratliff joining me today, of course, talk a little bit about Changes to tax laws that are, that are coming up now. If, you know, unfortunately, this is February, which means that April fifteenth is right around the corner. So, you know, it just it just never gets better, <laughs> you know. But it's just all part of it. So we're going to go through some of the tax changes, of course. You know, as tax filing season comes up, what about those child tax credits? What about you know some of the extended unemployment benefits, things that you need need to be aware of um, as you start getting ready to prepare for tax season. Um, you know, it's always the big thing. The other thing is also, uh, we'll get into a bit this morning, it's about tracking errors. So there's a there's kind of a, a few things that we're getting a lot of questions on here lately, and not surprisingly with the markets down, you know, previously, and now the markets are rebounding strongly, you know, a lot of questions about, you know, what happens next and what does this mean? And we're going to kind of get into all of that today. NASDAQ's up about 7.4% over the last three days. Big rebound rally here, of course. That's what we've been talking about this morning. Um, NASDAQ's going to be up about 1% at the open, and that's really on the back of Google's news yesterday. So Google reported earnings yesterday really just beat across all metrics. Uh, and again, this has been common with the big tech stocks here lately, Apple, Microsoft, Google now, uh, just really kind of beating across all the estimates really across the board. Big news for, uh, for Google, though is they are announcing a 20 for one stock split. Now, this is interesting because over the last few years, really, it's been mostly about corporations buying back shares. In other words, reducing their share count, which helps boost earnings, right? So if I've got, uh, if I earn a dollar a year, simple math, right? My company earns a dollar a year in earnings and I have two shares outstanding, then my earnings per share are 50 cents, right? So if I buy back one share, now all of a sudden my earnings per share are a dollar, right? So I look better. Even though I didn't increase my sales, I'm still only earning a dollar. My earnings per share went up dramatically because I bought back one of the shares. So that's real basic math, but you get the idea. I, can, I get the illusion that even though I'm not growing sales, my earnings are getting better simply by buying back the number of stocks that are the number of shares outstanding. Google's doing just the opposite of this, right? So they just kind of killed it across the, the metrics, right? In terms of earnings growth. And this is all based on per share metrics. Now they're going to increase those number of shares by 20 fold. Because when I do, when I do the stock split, I'm going to increase my number of shares by that amount. So again, big jump in shares outstanding when they do the stock split. The good news is, of course, that this will, will reduce the value of Google from roughly $2,500 a share, $2,700 a share, uh, to basically about fourteen, dollars right? So, you know, you're going to have this big, this big reduction in the price of shares. So you take, uh, if you want to figure it out, take $2,752 divided by 20, uh, and that would be the new share price. Now, this is going to happen in July. Right, so this is going to lower that value. This is going to give people the theory is is that more people will have access 
to buy the stock. You know, I, I you know if I have a small trading account right now, I can't afford to buy a $2,700 stock, but you know I can buy a $140 stock. So you know it makes a whole lot of difference in terms of getting more retail investors in, into the markets when you get lower share counts. So again, but this is an unusual thing, right? Stock splits are something to become a rarity really over the last uh, couple of decades as, we, as it's been more of a search for creating earnings per share growth. We've been relying on stock buybacks to help support asset prices. But, you know, and again, back in the late 90s, stock splits used to be a regular thing. I used to get a, every time ExxonMobil got to $80 a share, they would sp split their stock. And if it got to 80 and it didn't split, everybody would be calling me up going, they're at 80. Are they going to split? It's like, you know, it's up to them. But, you know, but this has become a real rarity as we've become more dependent on, on stock buybacks to help support earnings per share. Stock splits have become a bit of a rarity. So, again, you know, not completely rare. Tesla did it also. Uh, did a five for one stock split. Um, but Google um, will be up today about 10%. So it's going to be a fairly large jump. Put, it's going to put Google back around the 50-day moving average this morning. And again, kind of coming off that very oversold level, breaking out of this recent downtrend they've been in as well. So that's all very good news, very bullish for, for Google shareholders this morning. We have about a 5% weight in our equity portfolio. Uh, AMD also out this morning uh, reporting earnings. Those earnings were better than expected. That stock also going to be up 11%. Um, that's also going to probably bode well for other chip makers in that sector, like NVIDIA. Those will probably also be up today as well. Um, again, you know, this, you know, NVIDIA, AMD, those are kind of the chip stocks. Uh, we own uh, both those shares, uh, full disclosure, in our, in our equity model, um, <clears throat> because those are going to be focused more on kind of next-gen technology, the metaverse, all this. That's, you know, graphics gaming. You know, those are the companies that are Bitcoin mining uh, with NVIDIA. So those earnings will probably continue to do well as we move forward in this environment. Now, again, if you'll notice, the ones that are doing well here in terms of earnings have been technology. Now, ExxonMobil also had very good earnings out yesterday. Uh, stock was up about 5% uh, during the day yesterday. Really good earnings growth in terms of an oil and gas maker. Now, this is, of course, the whole ESG thing. Um, one thing, we, I've got an article coming out, and I wrote about this recently for the Epic Times, which is that if you take a look historically, while we get into this whole idea that we want to be ESG investors, right? Environmentally, socially, governance conscious, right? We want to be new climate uh, referendums for the entire market. This is the new thing. Uh, lots of funds being thrown up now that, that all have the ESG title. Doesn't mean they actually invest in ESG stocks. But as we've noted before, back in the 90s, we were doing this with SIN stocks. And once SIN stocks began to outperform everybody, everybody else in the, on the planet in terms of the stock market, everybody ditched this idea of, of not investing in SIN stocks, started investing in SIN stocks again. I would suggest that with ExxonMobil breaking out to new highs here, and again, if you, if you kind of look at ESG versus energy, right? Energy is the dirty energy. We don't want to own them anymore. They're terrible. It doesn't take this much performance before other people start jumping back into the oil and gas trade. And this has been a very, very good trade here for a while. We're long ExxonMobil and Marathon uh, in our portfolios. Now, importantly, after they announced earnings yesterday, stock did well. Three standard deviations above the moving average, very overbought. We took profits uh, last couple of days. And, and really, it's just uh, those positions very extended here. Probably going to get a pullback. And as I was saying a second ago, if you take a look at what's happening with Google, Apple, you know, uh, Microsoft, et cetera, 
those stocks are doing well. Their earnings growth is very strong. And if we move into a disinflationary environment, which is very likely later this year, those technology stocks are going to continue to outperform the reflationary stocks because of that ability to generate growth in a slowing economic environment. Now, one thing in particular that we talked about previously is watch profit margins for these companies because one thing that is becoming evident through this earnings season is that profit margins are contracting. And that's because of inflation, higher labor costs, those type of things that can't get passed through. That's beginning to shrink profit margins for these companies. So in other words, the best of the best is likely behind us now. That $5 trillion in liquidity that generated all that economic activity that all flowed through right into earnings. People were out buying stuff, buying Apple products, buying Microsoft products, whatever it was, gaming, etc. That all flowed through right to those bottom line earnings. That's why these reports are so good. This is the end of the fourth quarter of last year, which was the tail end of all that liquidity and economic recovery. Inflation now is becoming a problem. Less liquidity, profit margins now shrinking, which is going to make it a bit more challenging for earnings as we go forward. So we may be seeing the best of the best in terms of earnings for the time being. But we'll get back to the, uh, this and more with Danny Ratliff right after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you leaving thousands in Social Security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your Social Security at our next virtual Lunch and Learn. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors Virtual Lunch and Learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And what, not yet. Are we there? Are we on? Okay. What's happening over here? I can't hear myself this morning. There we go. A little better. Good morning, Danny Ratliff. How are you, sir? Doing great. Good morning. So uh, a few things to get into this morning. Uh, we had candy coffee this past weekend. It's uh, on our website now. So if you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, right on the front page um, is our featured video, which was the uh, our discussion. Um, I joined Danny and Richard this weekend for the candy coffee. We just kind of went through inflation, the market sell-off, uh, positioning, kind of what our thoughts were going forward, why disinflation is probably a bigger challenge. Um, so if you, it's it's um, it's on there on site, and uh, you can kind of listen into the conversation and, and the different things that we talked about. And we're gonna and we got so many questions that we couldn't get through all of them. It was, and again, during these candy coffees, you get to ask questions and we answer them. That's the whole point about it being a candy coffee is that we're kind of just answering your questions. And of course, with everything that's been going on in the markets, had lots of questions. So we're going to get into some of those questions in the next segment. But two topics uh, for this segment I want to get into with Danny because, uh, as I said earlier, tax filing season is uh, fast approaching, right? April the 15th, right around the corner. And uh, there's going to be a, a few little sticker shocks for individuals that uh, is going to happen this year that is unlike we've seen before. 
uh, from a couple of different perspectives because of all the stimulus that was thrown into the system. It's now create, you know, <laughs> as they always say, nothing is ever free. <laughs> and while you got free money, because you didn't work for it, it's not necessarily free from a tax perspective. And now is going to become the time that uh, the, the bill comes due, so to speak. So, Danny, let's talk about child tax credits and some of the sticker shock people may, may be seeing coming up pretty yeah, quick. Th- this could be huge sticker shock. You know, we talked about the economic impact that this had. But now we're going to see the back end, uh, the repercussions of it, of potentially having to pay back a lot of these funds that people received. So keep in mind, big changes happened with child tax credit. Uh, number one, they moved it from $2,000 a year to 3000 also increased it up to children up to 17 years of age. But another kicker, if you had children under six, they'd provide you with an additional 600 bucks. So essentially $3,600 for, for families with children under six years old, 3000 if they were over. So... The, the big kicker here is they also, the change was they made this instead of just a credit on your tax bill to a refundable credit, and they started paying half of that on a monthly basis. So a lot of people just started seeing in their in their <laughs> bank account money like, wow, this is great from the right. Treasury. Fantastic. Well, it could be good news, but it also could be bad news because they also lowered the income limitation. So if you're single, it's 75000 If you're a family, it's 150. They brought those numbers down from 200 and 100. So now people who historically would have received these, they may be actually under that threshold. You also can be phased out, meaning that you won't get that full amount. So what this means, everybody should have just actually received here recently uh, a letter 6419 from the IRS. And what this letter states is how much money you receive throughout the year. Um, so remember, half of that was being paid out throughout the year, which was a big economic boom. So now you may actually have to pay some of this back. Now, you had the ability to go in and cut this off. The IRS did have a portal, so you could utilize something like that. Many did. A lot of people just said, you know what, I'll figure it out at the end of the year. Um, I want to get as much money from them as possible. Understand that as well. Just understand they're going to want that money back if you don't fall within those windows. So what we fear is that they've made this so convoluted that you're going to need to hire a CPA, and it's probably going to cost you more than what you'd actually get from this by the time you're all said and done. So wait a second now. Lance, you talk about how – you remember how Kevin Brady wanted to do a, a uh, postcard? postcard? Man, we miss those talks in those days right now. So some of the forms that you could have to have are Form 8812, 3911, 2555, 8379, 8332, 14039. Now, I'm sure everybody's very familiar with all these forms, as most CPAs are, I'm sure. Yeah. But Sounds like Tom Brady calling a, sh- uh, a play. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. anymore. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, but so you, you get my point. This can be uh, very overwhelming for many people. It's unfortunate that you know, we've taken a good thing, and now we've made it even that much more difficult. Well, I'm going to blame Facebook for, for this as well. Okay. Because used to be in the day, you would actually enjoy a trip potentially to the mailbox because there would be, you know, a letter from a friend or a letter from a loved one, birthday card, you know, whatever. And now because of social media and all this stuff, there's nothing good in the mailbox anymore. It's just bad news. I don't even, I you know, I check my mailbox and I don't even check it. I send my wife down to do it. But about once every three weeks and because there's nothing but junk mail and bad news in it. I mean, it's you know, ta- now Very you're going to get a letter. Now, guess what? You know, go check your mailbox. You got a letter from the IRS. That always brightens up your day. <laughs> hey, what's this, honey? Uh, put in the shred pile. Exactly. I kid, I kid. But, but no, but so, so do, you know, you will be getting something in the mail if you have not already, if you, you have a family. So I would be 
ready to open, make sure you put that with your tax documents. Um, you know, hopefully it's a lot easier than what, you know, the, the current uh, state of affairs looks like it's going to be right now. But beware, you know, you could have to come back and pay some funds. So, you know, one of the bigger things is, is that we talk about all the, you know, the impact and, you know, people unable to make, you know, ends meet at the end of each month sometimes and, you know, not being able to meet emergencies. And now you potentially have somebody coming out of pocket with a lot of money yeah. because we saw this money was spent. I mean, it, it helped the economy quite a bit. That's why a big problem with inflation. In fact, sure. you know, some of the stats were that it brought 50% of the people, families below the poverty line above it. For about and, 27 seconds. And you and I talked about this, yeah. that that was going to be great for the moment, but the next year it reset. And now where are they at? They're back yeah. below the poverty yeah. line. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the wonderful thing about, you know, this. And again, you know, the idea of increasing child tax credit is fine. Right. Um, you know, if they would have just left it a credit, so when you just filed your tax at the end of the year, um, it's you either get it or you don't, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're phased out, but it doesn't. You're not having to come out of pocket for it. And most people, as you were saying, you know, since most people don't have any excess savings, and there was a great chart out just yesterday that we put out on on Twitter showing that, you know, when we talk about that 2.7 trillion in savings, it's all owned by the top 10 percent of income earners. Yep. Nobody else below the 90 percent has any savings of consequence. And, you know, when you really get down into the bottom 50 percent, there's no savings at all. So, you know, if, if all of a sudden there's a tax bill that you weren't depending on, where are you going to come up with the money from? Right. That's right. This is. And, and again, having to, and if you have to pay an accountant or, you know, heaven forbid, you know, you file your taxes and misfile it. And now you've got tax. You know, now you get that. Now you really get that letter from the IRS that says, uh, excuse me, not only do you owe us money, you now owe us money plus penalties. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's never fun. Yeah, and that is just not a good not a good way to start your day. So, um, anyway, just pay attention to it. it is a big issue. Um, you know, again, we my wife was getting you know child child uh, child tax credits you know in the mail, and, we're, and I'm like, honey, just stick those into an account because you're going to owe all that back yep, at the end right. of the year. So, well, and that's a smart thing to do. Yeah. And unfortunately, just m- most families needed the money or spent the money and. Well, but, but again, and, and again, you know, and let's go back to the inflation side of this. You know, this is always the problem with government, which is, oh, we need to do this. We need to help people. Nobody ever thinks through the process of I give you thirty six hundred dollars to go do child care. OK, great. Now, do child you, care do, goes up. Yeah. Do you not think that all the child care providers are going, hey, Danny's got more money to spend? Prices are going up. And this is the thing that they can never figure out with college tuitions. Like, oh, bad colleges. You're giving out free money for college. What do you expect colleges to do with tuition, right? I mean, are you, you know, but we didn't have this problem when the when the student loan um, were run by the banks. And you couldn't get student loans that easily because you had to qualify for them. You didn't have that problem with tuition cost. Get out of business, right? Well, you know, that, your job right. is not to be involved in business. And I think they thought this was going to go on in perpetuity. So the issue here now is that it's it stopped in December. Right. So now you have that inflation that it created, and those guys aren't backing off. So now everybody has less money. Their, sure. their free cash yeah. flows diminished. I mean, you know, well, and look, e- and, and look, even if they had gone and even if they had passed it um, into perpetuity, it still would have been everybody above the poverty line, but right back in it this year again, just because of, of the reset. Because it, unless you were increasing it every year, Inflation's just going to put you right back to where you go. So, correct. It, it's it's just this is the problem with people we have running government. They have no sense of economics, yeah. even well, just basic economics. And that's even worse because you created this. You created the inflation. It's not going away. Then you took it all away. Yeah. 
Well, sorry, guys. That was fun for a bit. Enjoy. Well, and speaking of that, uh, Joe, man, as we discussed yesterday, you know, there was a lot of hope here that uh, the Build Back Better plan would get passed in some form, um, which would potentially extend some of these child tax credits, mm-hmm. to, you know, provide some other money. And as I said yesterday on the show, early yesterday morning, I said there's really no incentive now for Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema to go along with the Democrats on passing the Build Back Better plan because when they opposed it, they raised a lot of campaign money. And yesterday, Joe Manchin said, now, nah, Build Back Better's dead. Well, and one of his big things with this was actually the child tax yeah. credit that he wanted families to actually be working to receive it. To receive it. Yeah, yep. big deal. So, which obviously is probably not going to fly. Well, it's not going to fly, but, you know, his his thought process is right. And again, if we go back to, you know, everybody wants to go back to talk about the 1960s and 70s. Why did you have 8% rates of economic growth? Because people were out, they were producing. You don't get economic growth unless you're working. And the whole the whole backwards process that we have going on in government right now is we're trying to incent people not to work. If you tied your government incentives to work where people are producing – they produce, they generate a paycheck, then they can go consume. That's what creates economic growth. You need that virtuous cycle. So, yes, tie all your government support programs to working. If both parents are working, they need child care support, great. Help them out. No problem with that. But just raising minimum wages and providing free money doesn't help the production side of the equation. It's what creates economic growth over time So yeah. and economic prosperity and wealth equality. By the way. And that's part of the problem with Build Back Better plan with many of these other plans yep. that they have is that it has no true productivity to it other than just a quick a quick hit, hit to it, and that's it. That's right. All right, we'll come back from the break. Questions from the horizon. Uh, no, from Candy Coffee. <laughs> uh, we'll get into those. we got a lot of them to get through, so we'll kind of do a rapid-fire session of, of Q&As from the, the recent Candy Coffee. Stick around. More of the Real Investment Show coming right up. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you leaving thousands in Social Security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your Social Security at our next virtual Lunch and Learn. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors Virtual Lunch and Learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Danny Radliff joining me, of course, uh, to talk a little bit about uh, questions from Candy Coffee this weekend. We had so many questions for our Candy Coffee event on Saturday. Again, if you didn't miss it, if you missed it, sorry. If you did miss it, glad you were there. Watch it again. Watch it again. But if you did miss it, it's on the website now. Go to realinvestmentadvice.com. It's right on the homepage. Featured video. Can't miss it. Um, 
So, but we had so many questions we couldn't get to them all, and and honestly, we're not going to get to all of them today either. <laughs> but no. we'll try to hit a few more of them for you. So why don't you just go ahead and jump on in, Danny? Well, and, and keep in mind, we get so many different questions. Some of them are very, very similar. Then we have some that are so specific that they would only be really, um, you know, probably good for one person. Right. And so we, we try to cover as much as we can. But so we thought we'd, we'd come back to it and kind of circle back on some of these questions. But one of the ones that I think we keep getting a lot of different uh, feedback on is uh, one was says, if we expect 2022 to be a turmoil year where the Fed continues to experiment with the market, weak corporate profits, inflated markets, isn't it better to stay in cash till the situation clears up and or a big correction? And we've talked a lot about right. this, but I think this is one that we continue to receive lots and lots of questions on. Right. So as we entered the year, so let's just look at where we are right now as a mm -hmm. good example of this, right? So if you entered the year this year, in January, the first couple of days of January, market's doing great. We're following through with our Santa Claus rally. It's all fine. So, right, you want to be in the market. Then the market sells off, and right? And all of a sudden, you know, the the risk of a correction is bigger. Now, we've been talking about having a 5 or a 10% correction now for over a year and a half. We said, hey, we're going to have a 5 to a 10% correction at some point. We're going to retest the 200-day moving average at some point. That's just a function of how markets work. Now, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't change the bullish trend or anything else. And so we had this correction, but not surprisingly, as we've said often, is that a correction of magnitude, if you got down to the 200-day moving average, is going to feel a whole lot worse than it really is because it's been so long since you've had a 10% correction. We haven't had a 10% correction. I mean, look, headlines immediately from, from the, the mainstream media was, this is the worst correction since March of 2020, right? Panic, fear, malaise, the whole nine yards. Um, but all we did was retest the October lows. Right. And the 200 day moving average markets got extremely oversold. Sentiments got uh, investor sentiment got extremely bearish. But that was the point where everybody wanted to sell out. Right now, the markets rallied for three days. We're up. Uh, Nasdaq's up over seven and a half percent from the lows. Uh, S&P's up over five percent. We're within an earshot of all time highs. And, you know. Now, all of a sudden, you know, people want to come jumping back into the market. So the, the problem with, with going to cash, and here's my point about this. The problem with going to cash is the getting back in part. It's easy to get out, but if this market rallies to new highs here over the next month or so, and there's a real possibility with a yield curve flattening, ISM report, ISM manufacturing out yesterday, sharp decline in ISM manufacturing, that's all very disinflationary. It suggests that the Fed's going to back off rate hikes fairly quickly. Um, this market runs some more then you're going to want to get back in. And then you're going to be telling yourself, well, I don't want to get in now because now the market's overbought, so I'll just wait for the next correction, and now you're in the trap. So this is why it's important to not make these big macro decisions to be all in or all out because it's very difficult to get reallocated. As we manage portfolios, we simply just reduce. I mean, right now we're about 54% exposure to the markets in terms of our target. Our target is 60% allocation to equities. We're about 54%. We reduce that equity. Um, we've got some cash. So, you know, as we kind of figure out where this market's going over the next couple of months, we'll eventually put that cash back to work on, you know, on the fixed income side, on the, on the equity side, wherever it needs to go. But, you know, man, just managing risk is, as we've always talked about before, is a game of inches. It's small moves. It's not big macro moves because the problem is, is once you're behind the curve, it's almost impossible to get back on the right side of it.
Okay. And, and you mentioned a couple of things there. So one, I want to put this in context. A 60-40 portfolio is generally what we use just as a reference guide. You know, it, it does seem to fit a lot of clients. Our 60-40 model is much different than your traditional 60-40 that, you know, that we will be underweight, overweight at different times. Uh, we'll also, you know, we'll eliminate certain asset classes. So unlike many places where they say, hey, we're going to invest in every asset class just because that's what we should do. We believe that, hey, if we don't like an area, we'll, we'll remove it altogether. But another thing you mentioned was that trap. And I think right. that's really important. Because you go back to 2008, we go back to many different times. And I visit with many people on the front line day in and day out. And a lot of times we'll have somebody who comes in and says, well, I've never made money in markets. And the reason being is because they try to do just that. They try to get all the way out, try to get all the way back in. And it's usually counterintuitive, right? We get out when things are bad. We think, oh, my goodness, I can't take it anymore. We get back in because it's just going to keep on running. And I've got to be there. And we have that fear of missing out. And it's so counterintuitive to the old adage of, buy low and sell high. We do the complete opposite. So <laughs> right. that's why it's so important to do it in bite-sized chunks, understand what we do. So you, you mentioned something else, panic and fear. So lots of questions on, okay, if we do get into this environment where we do see this big uh, you know, recession or we see a period where we do get into a bear market, what you know is the traditional areas of safety, is that still safe? And what I mean by that is like, do people still flock to gold or uh, you know, other commodities or is it is Bitcoin the new goal? And I think we know the answer to this, but <laughs> you know, but th these are things that everybody's thinking because we're all being told by the media right. that this is how it's going to going to act. Well, uh, you know, uh, Bitcoin was down fifty percent, so I'm not sure that's where I wanted to flock to. Yeah, um, gold has been an underperformer now for quite some time, and it responds supposed to respond to real rates, but it's a fear trade. And that was kind of one of the interesting things. I really expected gold to take off during this uh, kind of correction in January, but it didn't. And, you know, we had some relative fear in the markets, but, uh, you know, really, when you take, take a look at what's happening underneath the surface, there wasn't a lot of panic. We had a lot of sell-offs, right? But there wasn't a lot of palpable panic of just investor liquidations, except for Monday, the, the Monday a week ago, when you had that really sharp decline in the NASDAQ. That was kind of the first visible sign of just capitulation. But again, if you take a look at the overall surge and you know overall rise in the volatility index, it didn't spike up dramatically. It climbed higher as the market was selling off, which was what you'd expect. But it was never a sign of of panic. So, you know, these traditional alternative trades have have not worked well. And it was interesting because in last weekend's newsletter, here's my last uh, my last two sentences in last weekend's newsletter, because again, this is now the opposite of where we were. I said we agree. The most challenging thing for an investor to do is to buy when everyone else is selling. However, that's precisely when the best trades ultimately get made. Undoubtedly, it's hard to buy when there's blood in the streets. And and the whole point of the article was is markets were deeply oversold. People were already, you know, kind of panic selling the bottom. And that's typically the time you want to do the opposite of what your gut's telling you. So, you know, this and, and again, when the when the mainstream media is all on one side of the trade it's typically always better to take the other side. Right now, they're all inflation trades, so start looking at the disinflation trade, right? So that's, you know, this is just kind of uh, things to think about when you're managing your own money. So, so to round off that question, if somebody does feel inclined to invest in you know, silver, gold, another type of commodity, mm -hmm. um, you know, I know we've talked about, you know, a lot of people like to hold this either, they'll have a company that holds it in a safe somewhere in the desert, or they may go buy, <laughs> they may go buy coins, they may buy uh, an ETF. Sure. I mean, there's so many different ways to purchase these things. What would be your recommendation? Because we see a lot of times that it's an all or nothing strategy where somebody says they go all in and they say, I'm going to put, you know, half of my savings into this. You know, we like it more in bite sized chunks as well in that aspect. But, you know, what would you 
not necessarily say recommend, but if, if from your viewpoint, how do you foresee the best way to invest in those types of investments? It's 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 not a, a best way, worst way thing. I mean, you know, if you're buying gold, it, so let, let me let me back up. I, all I can do is tell you how I would do it. I can't tell you how what's right for you because everybody's different. Everybody's Everybody different, has different right. scenario. Yep. But if I was going to buy if I was going to buy physical gold, I would buy coins that are collectibles that have a numismatic value to them because yes they're gold right so they do have the benefit of the gold price but there's also that that premium that's paid to have a collectible item it's like it's like buying a piece of artwork or buying a a rare exotic car whatever it is um you know, used car prices are going up right now. So as an example, I can buy a used car and if I hold it temporarily, the price keeps going up and I could sell it maybe at a higher price, but that's not always going to be the case for used cars. However, a collectible, a very rare, you know, car of some sort will hold value regardless of what the used car market is doing. So if I'm going to buy gold, I'm going to buy gold, a gold coin that has a numismatic value to it um, that's a collectible. So buy rare gold coins, um, you know, those type of things. If you're just trading gold, as an example, um, buy an ETF and if and trade it. It's a commodity. So commodities go up and down in price. There's things that affect the commodity trade, inflation versus disinflation, uh, inflation versus deflation, interest rates, those type of things. So if you're just trading the commodity, if you just want to own gold because you want to have a, a position to hedge against a potential runaway environment of, of, you know, economic collapse, just buy an ETF and trade that because it's going to trade off the spot price of gold, you know, but owning, you know, but if you want to own a bunch of gold bullion and have it sitting in a safe somewhere, more power to you. You know, the, the only problem, the only problem with that, and this is the, the issue that we always get into. And again, we just talked about this and it works the same way with these type of, of assets is that if you own a bunch of gold, it's great. The day you want to go sell it will probably be the day that everybody else is trying to panic sell their gold. So when you get down to your gold trader to sell it, there'll be a line wrapped around the building three times of people standing there wanting to sell their gold, and the price is going to be falling very quickly. It's always about supply and demand in the market. So, you know, those are just, you know, those are just things to consider. And, and again, you know, what part of your portfolio is in gold is, 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 is up to you. But... If I've got a whole bunch of my money in something that's underperforming inflation, and I'm, I'm planning on holding it long term, and that's the key, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold this for years. I don't care what's gonna happen. I'm gonna own gold for a decade because it's gonna hedge me against inflation. That's been a real losing bet for a long time. Hey, but not to mention, you just mentioned where do you hold it? We just saw that the IRS went after somebody for holding it in a self-directed IRA, put it in their safe at home. Yep. And can't do that. They got dinged for it. Taxable yep. event looked like a distribution. So you have exactly. to be very careful on where you hold these assets as well. All right, we'll come back, wrap up with some more questions. Don't go away.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you leaving thousands in Social Security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your Social Security at our next virtual Lunch and Learn. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors Virtual Lunch and Learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Roseanne Roberts, of course. Uh, Danny Ratliff joining me as well. It's a Wednesday, so he's always here. Kind of like uh, foot fungus. Um, <laughs> but just on Wednesdays. <laughs> just on Wednesdays. <laughs> kind of comes and goes. You, yeah, you never know. I'm just teasing you. Um, foot fungus Wednesday. <laughs> it's, a, it's a new tagline. <laughs> Man, tell me about it. Goodness gracious, I thought you think of me now. Brought to you by Dr. Scholes. I get up for this. <laughs> we, we need to have Brent start, you know, doing like, you know, back in the like in the uh, early uh, on the old radio programs and you know, the upcoming program brought to you by, you know, <laughs> yeah. Calgon. Oh, Wash. Man. What was it? What was their tagline? Calgon. Wash. Take me away. Yes. Take me away. So anyway, um, let's wrap up with some more questions here from Candy Coffee. Of course, uh, again, if you didn't hear, um, we're answering some questions from Candy Coffee this past weekend. The entire presentation is on our website. We went through a lot of stuff about markets, money, investing, disinflation, um, kind of our thought process heading out for the rest of this year. It's all on the website now. Go to realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, it's right there under the featured video on the homepage. So, okay, let's continue on. So, so let's let's tie up our last segment. We talked a little bit about you know what what the market's mm-hmm. doing, um, inflationary hedges potentially, you know, traditional hedges like gold. What does that look like? How would we you invest in that? But where where has that gone? Right, gold is significantly underperformed. Yep. Some of the other things went that to, we, it went all to commodities. Everybody was chasing the commodity trade, so yeah. oil and and you know kind of hard commodities. Uh, that trade's likely over now. So oil prices are very high at, at this point, and they'll, they'll hang around here for a little while longer. But it's very likely as we move further into this year, and this is something we went to pretty good detail um, Saturday, and then Monday's article is hard assets, are they a trade in the making? Watch the dollar. The dollar is starting to rise here, and there's a lot of reasons for that, and that is an anti hard asset commodity trade. So, you know, there's there's a real possibility the commodity trade has peaked. And because economic growth is slowing down, we're going to start getting more. And again, go look at ISM yesterday. Go take a look at recent, you know, manufacturing reports really across the board. Um, you know, the that whole inflationary surge in the economy is likely peaked. And, and, and this is because the liquidity has peaked and it's beginning to roll off. Disposable personal, if let me put it this way, if disposable personal incomes are unchanged this quarter, DPI will drop 34% on a year over year basis because the, the surge in the disposable incomes came in the first quarter of 2021, right? We had the whole $1,400 check from Joe Biden, et cetera, right? So that huge surge of disposable incomes is gone. 
And so you're going to have a very sharp drop in disposable personal incomes, which is going to translate directly into economic growth. And you're going to have slower rates of economic growth this year. In fact, Goldman out yesterday, we wrote an article in March of 21 called The Sugar Rush. And that was explaining why that surge in economic growth was going to reverse very quickly as we got into 2022. Goldman Sachs yesterday slashing economic growth. Atlanta Fed out on Monday talking about 0.1% GDP growth for the first quarter. So, yeah, be careful with the commodity inflation trade. It's likely over. Yeah, and it's been moving so quick. I mean, mm-hmm. it used to be, we're, you know, the talk was this is a 10-year cycle. And it still, yeah, could be. But you need, 10 years, you need 10 years of liquidity for that, right? Yeah. So, and, and look, if you don't believe me, just go take a look at tips. I mean, they're telling you all you need to know right now. Yeah, things have changed and they're changing so quickly. So the year, you know, in a lot of our reviews, we talk about what should we expect. And really, it's being nimble. We want flexibility right right now. I mean, if you're watching, Brent, you can bring up, I'll put a chart of tip up on our screen. So if you're watching our live stream, you'll see a chart of the price of tip, which will tell you what's going on with inflation. Okay, next question. Okay, so you're going to love this one because I know financial (laughs) planning is your favorite. I love financial planning. It's my favorite. Yes. No. So, so exciting. So we get it. We did, we did receive several questions on this saying, Hey, look, I'm, I'm three, five, seven, 10 years away from retirement. Um, you know, how long can I put off doing a financial plan? Never. Well, you could put it off for as long as you want. Yeah. Now you shouldn't, you shouldn't. That's right. And so what, what are your thoughts on that from somebody who doesn't necessarily that's not that's not your area of expertise so to speak not to say you don't know a lot about it but you like the investment side right uh, yeah that's the side that makes me money so <laughs> you know financial planning tells me what i can't spend yeah investing tells me what i can do right so that's why i like the investing side because i can make money with that and that's how i keep score um financial planning only tells me what i can't do and i don't like that <laughs> well so, so hold on personal, no man. that's my personal thing we, i'm teasing i'm teasing no look what financial plans give you is they give you some parameters about how much risk you can take. And this is the most important thing. Um, and this is when you're designing your portfolio, I have two choices. I can put all my money into Bitcoin, right? And maybe I'll win. Maybe I'll lose 50% of my money, right? And we have this attitude when we're young that it doesn't matter. What people forget is that if I lose $2,000 when I'm 20, that's effectively about sixty to eighty thousand dollars of value out of my retirement account when I retire, because of the growth of that two thousand over time, right? So, losing money, we we have this very cavalier attitude about losing money. Ah, pfft, it's just a couple of thousand dollars. Let me ask you a question: If you had two thousand dollars in your wallet and lost your wallet, would you just go, "Well, pfft, it's two grand"? No, you'd be like, "Man, that was." you know, down payment on a car or whatever it was, right? You know, there's this, we have this very cavalier attitude about our investment accounts because it doesn't seem to be real money. It's just play money, right? It's just some digits on a page and it goes up and down in value every day. And it's all a game. It's like gambling in a casino. But if you start putting these things in perspective, and this is what a good financial plan will do for you, is saying, look, if you lose 10 grand, what does that mean for your retirement? If you lose 50 grand, what does that mean to your retirement? If you lose 100 grand, what does that mean for your retirement? Do you want to retire someday, or do you want to be like every schmuck else on the planet that's going to have to work until 90, right? Because the average American, 80% of Americans have less than one year salary in the bank. They're never going to retire. And this is kind of one of the ironies of all this is like, we look at the labor force participation rate. And we go, well, the labor force participation rate's low because all these people are retiring. No, they're not. They can't afford to retire. Yeah. They're not retiring on one-year salary. They may be retired. They're just working four part-time jobs. 
Yeah, you know, they're, they're not showing up in your metrics the way they used to. Exactly. They're at Home Depot, Lowe's, and Walmart all working. Yeah. So, And you made a really good point. And, you know, I think that's a big, a big misconception that many people believe because the financial media tells us that, okay, when you're young, you can take all this additional risk. And it doesn't matter if you lose 50% of it. But it becomes much more important when you're close to retirement because then you really can't afford to. But now it's, it's one of those things if you look back and say, what could this money have made over time mm-hmm. had I not had that big drawdown, that – that's where things oh. change. You know, that compounding actually comes into play. Yeah, that's one other big fallacy on television is all the time is like, well, if you if you you don't lose money until you sell, <laughs> no, your portfolio value is what it is any day of the week, and if you're down fifty percent, you've lost fifty percent of your portfolio. That's it. That has nothing to do with the buy-sell transaction. Yeah. It is what it is. So so I want to take that step further because you're looking at it from a portfolio management yeah. and a risk management side. So so the way we view this as planners, we want to take this holistic view and take a look at all the financial beings and, and things that are going on within your your financial uh, you know realm. And we want to take a look and say, okay, where are the best places for you to put funds aside if you're saving so that it gives you more flexibility in retirement? I mean, we could sound like a broken record with this, but you know, there are so many moving parts. So it's about saving money, keeping money in your pocket right now and later in life in retirement and having that flexibility to come out of it and say, hey, you can choose when you pay taxes, how you pay taxes, which you know, the old school thought has always been, conventional wisdom has been, put everything in that pre-tax account. And you're going to have that that tax deferred growth, which is which is great. And then when you take it out, you'll be taxed at a much lower tax bracket. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we know that's just not the case. Yeah. So big big part of it. So another one we we briefly broached life insurance during our conversation on Saturday. Right. And we had a lot of questions that follow up after that, and we, which we typically do when we have you know sure. quick discussions around this. What you know what's the big take on on life insurance and and permanent insurance? We talked about you know temporary so term insurance, how that can work for risk management, but how can you, you how you can use permanent for longer term solutions? Right. Well, uh, you know, two things here, and, and we've only got a couple of minutes, so I'm going to make this really kind of quick. But like I said on, on our Candid Coffee event, I said if I was 20 all over again, I would have never bought term insurance. I would have bought whole life permanent policies right up front and overfunded them my whole life, and I wouldn't be working now. Um, and there's a reason for that is because it creates tax-free compounded growth over time. And it truly compounds because it pays you a payment on the overfunding of your policy. Now, not every policy works this way. You're referring to whole life. Yeah, this is whole life mutual insurance, right? So not every policy works this way. So you've got to really know what you're looking at. You need to know how to calculate what you're doing in terms of your overfunding amount. Because if you miscalculate your overfunding amount, you can turn it into a modified endowment contract. Don't worry about all this stuff. And look, Danny can help you through all this. So just email him and say, please explain what Lance was talking about. Um, but if you turn it to a modified endowment contract, everything that was tax-free is now taxable. But the beautiful things about whole life insurance are is that you overfund them. They grow tax-free. You can then withdraw money from them tax-free. And I do this on a regular basis to make real estate investments or to do other things. I use it to, to leverage myself borrow from myself to, to make other higher yielding investments. And then when that investment pays off, I repay the loan from the life insurance and it's all a tax-free transaction to me. So, you know, there's some huge benefits to creating long-term growth. And then when I die, then there's a death benefit that goes to my family, plus all the 
extra cash that's been built up in the overfunding status also goes to the family as well. So it creates a huge nest egg for your clients. And best thing are, is that they're basically they're judgment proof against lawsuits. They are kind of like an IRA in terms of that. Um, you know, they grow tax free, withdrawals are tax free, and then they can if be done used properly. and if done properly and it can be used as a islet, which is a life insurance structure to help pay your estate taxes in retirement as well. So, you know, it just or at death. So it does just a whole lot of great benefit for you. But if you can only afford term to insure your family at a young age, that's what you need to do. I just wish I would have known differently when I was very young in life. I would have done different. So yeah. wraps up. So if you've got questions about it, look, email Danny and uh, we'll get into it. And, and again, we may spend a whole segment on this on the show here soon just to really get into the nuts and bolts of it. In the meantime, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the Candid Coffee link. It's on the homepage right now. It's our featured video. Get all the conversation and send your questions, comments, and emails. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.